This is uh, going to be a fun Sunday. I think this is actually the first 4th of July weekend I've preached in I don't know how long. I think at least eight years. And it's not because I don't like the 4th of July. It's just always been a good weekend for my family and I to take off. We've kind of been doing it for a while now. And there's something about last year. We were gone. We were in St. Louis. And I, I remember telling Marissa, I said, I, I know we're always gone this weekend, but I don't want to be gone next year. I said, everybody is, you know, celebrating. I think church should be a celebration. And uh, we want to have some, some fun. I actually got asked by three different people to come preach for them this week. And I said, no, I'm going to be at my church. I'm going to be preaching at my church, and, and we're going to have, have some fun. I think church should be a place of celebration, though. You know, I, I, think, uh, I think when you, you walk in the doors, things should, should, should come off. Like, like depression should come off. Anxiety should come off. So, so some of the, the, the torment maybe that you've been dealing with should, should come off of you and, and leave. And I just found like when we put our eyes on Jesus, we get our eyes off of ourselves and, and off of our problems. That's part of why we come in. We, we come to worship and we, we, we come to recognize what he's done and what he is doing in our midst and in the lives of, of people. And we're seeing God move every week. People are coming to know Jesus personally and people are getting baptized every month and people are taking steps of faith. And I just found like it's a lot easier to be in a place where you're celebrated instead of tolerated. You notice that? Like, like I'm glad you're here because you just by being here, God is moving in your life. You are taking steps to grow. Your relationship with Jesus is growing deeper. And so we're going to keep this spirit of celebration today. I know a lot of us are going to have fun, but we can celebrate in church. And I just figured, man, if we can like have candy for Valentine's Day and we can do fun stuff on Mother's Day and Father's Day and Halloween weekend, we have people in costumes, then we can have some 4th of July fun on 4th of July weekend. Is that all right with you? Okay. So uh, I, I'm calling this message today. I'm going to give you the title first. I don't even think I said the title in the first. The, the title of this message today is called One Nation Under God. You know, like the Pledge of Allegiance when you say that. Anybody remember saying that in school? That one nation under God. Well, the verse I want to read from, this is the key verse today. Psalm 33, verse 12. This is what it says. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people he has chosen as his own. Since I only have one verse, I'm going to read it twice. Get a double portion, twice for impact. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people he has chosen as his own. I was drawn to this verse because I was thinking about how this weekend, many of us, and let's be honest, some of you have already started, we heard you, are going to be uh, shooting off fireworks, going to be eating some Barbecue, having some watermelon or water fights, maybe water balloons and water parks. You're gonna be doing all, all sorts of fun stuff. And inevitably, over the maybe you've already heard it in the next few days, definitely on the 4th of July, you're, you're going to hear this phrase God bless America. It's a good phrase. It's okay to say God bless America. In fact, that's a great prayer. Like, did you know that that it's okay to, to pray, God bless America? In Scripture, Second, First Timothy chapter 2, first two verses, we're actually instructed to pray for our nation. It says, 
I beseech, implore, encourage all of you to, to lift up your government leaders, those who are in authority. Why are we supposed to do that? We're supposed to do it so that we can have a productive and peaceful life. So God bless America. That's good. Nothing wrong with saying that. I encourage you to say, like, it's good to pray. God bless our nation. I don't know if, like, there's a lot of things we need. God, we need your peace. God, we need your grace. We, we need your thoughts. We need your wisdom. We need your help. We, we need your spirit. We need your strength. God, bless America. That's good. But what this verse tells us is that if we actually want God to bless America, if we actually want God to bless our nation, well, he's got to be Lord. He's got to be Lord. What does that mean? Well, Lord, in this case, Lord means ruler, means king, means he's the authority. Like going back to the Pledge of Allegiance, when you get to that part and it says one nation under God, that, that's not like, God, we just want your blessing and we want your provision. It's saying, God, we recognize that we need to be under your authority. I don't know if you know this, like God has his own kingdom and God has his own ways. God has his own policies. And scripture tells us there is a blessing that will come on any people group who recognize and live under the lordship of God. It's what a nation is. A nation is a group of people. And that's why the first thing I want to tell you, the premise for this message, is that if we want to be a nation under God, we first have to be a people under God. If you want God's blessing, you have to be under God's rule. And what I like about that is it takes it out of being just a principle and makes it personal. Because when we say one nation under God, that's kind of like, that's big, that's vast, that's general, it's kind of abstract. But when we say a people, okay, well, I'm a people. Well, I, I'm, I'm a person. So if, if I want God's blessing, we're going to be a nation of God. I, I got to be a person who's submitted to God, submitted to, to his ways. I'm, I'm under his leadership. I'm under his influence. Have you ever seen somebody who's under the influence? If not, you will this weekend. What, what happens whenever someone's under the influence? That they feel a little different. They think a little different. They, they act a little different. They speak a little different. They respond a little different. Well, you know, when we're talking about alcohol, when people are under the influence, sometimes people can be under the influence and not even realize it. I'm concerned Sometimes as Christians in our nation, we can be under the influence of culture and not even realize it. We're not called to be under the influence of culture. We're called to be under the influence of Christ. And I know even as I talk about this and, you know, we're having some fun, it's just a little casual today. As I talk about this, sometimes people get uptight. It's like, I don't know, can we really, like, talk about faith in this arena? I mean, is this okay, Pastor? Well, let me be clear with you. 
understand, God wants to be involved in every area of your life. He wants to be involved in every area. He wants to be involved in your relationships. He wants to be involved in your marriage, in your family. He wants to be involved in your work, in your career choice, in your business. He wants to be involved in your finances. He wants to be involved in your spending. He wants to be involved in your rest. He wants to be involved in your recreation. He wants to be involved in your enjoyment. He wants to be involved in all these things. How do I know he wants to be involved in all these things? Because the Bible talks about all these things. God wants to be involved in your life. And contrary to what you might think, there's not a verse in the Bible that says, hey, if you're a Christian, don't ever talk about the role of government. Don't ever talk about politics. Don't ever let your faith intersect with this area. If you're a pastor, by all means, don't talk about it. There's not a verse in the Bible that says that. God wants to be involved in every area of your life. And you might think, well, okay, well, the Bible doesn't say anything, but I mean, doesn't the government like forbid you from talking? Like, isn't there a separation of, of church and state? You shouldn't talk about this in Sunday. Well, let's, let, let's talk about that for a moment. That, that phrase, the separation of church and state, just so you know, I'm super familiar with it. It, it doesn't appear... That phrase does not appear in the Constitution. That, that phrase is not in the Bill of Rights. That phrase is not in the Declaration of Independence. That, that phrase is not found in any of our founding documents. But where it is found, the very first time it's mentioned, is in a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to this Baptist Association in response to a letter that they had written him. And they wrote Thomas Jefferson because they were concerned, as America was being founded, that the government was going to impose some kind of state-sanctioned church, a, a government-ran church. And so they said, hey, is, is this what's going to happen? Because that's the way it was in, in England. And Jefferson wrote back to them and said that the First Amendment was a wall of separation between church and state. That's what the First Amendment is. It's, it's this wall, but he says in letters, it's a one-directional wall to keep the government from running the church. And the only reason I bring that up is I'm trying to help you see is that God cares about government because God cares about our nation. He cares about nations because he cares about people. So he cares how it's governed. He cares about its policies because he cares about people. In fact, the scripture talks a lot about government. It's one of the three institutions that God has ordained for human flourishing. Scripture says this in Proverbs 29 verse two, just write it down and look it up for yourself. It says, when just leaders are in power, the citizens celebrate. But when evil people gain control, their joy becomes moans. See, God, God cares about these things. He, he's instituted three areas of authority for human flourishing. He's, the church is one, the family is one, and government's one. And what we're going to look at, at some of that today, but understand that whenever God is removed from anything that he's ordained, when he's removed from the picture, the picture becomes more chaotic. Just think about any relationship. When God is removed from a relationship, that relationship becomes more chaotic. When God is removed from a marriage, that marriage becomes more chaotic. When God is removed from a family, that family becomes more chaotic. And that's 
true of a community. It's true of a nation. And I get that culture thinks that God and government should exist in separate spaces. But I just want you to understand that the Bible never says that. The Bible doesn't say that. And, and our founding documents are written in a way so that the government was not set up to be an authority over the church. But what is true is that all areas of our life are supposed to be under the influence and under the instruction of God. That's what Psalm 33 reminds us, that God must be the authority. Now, here's why this is important. It's because anytime we remove God from the equation, we remove God from his place, we will look for someone else to do what only God can do. This is true in your marriage. Like if you remove God from your marriage, you will look for your spouse to do some of the things that only God can do. Let me just speak to all married people for a moment. Your spouse cannot meet all of your needs. They weren't designed to meet all of your needs. You need God. And if you're looking for your, you take God out, if you look for your spouse to meet all of your needs, you are going to end up frustrated. Well, in the same way, when we take God out of government, when government becomes God, politics becomes religion. When politics becomes religion, candidates become saviors. It's not good for anybody. So how do we keep God in his place and be a nation under God by being a people under God? Well, that's what I'm going to give you today. I'm going to give you three things. We'll move through these fairly quickly. The first thing we need to recognize is that if we're going to be a people under God, under his rule, under his influence, under his authority, first thing is we need to be people of honor. We are people of honor. We're people of honor. If we're going to be people under God, we've got to be people of honor. Now, our world often doesn't recognize honor because we want to put everybody on the same level. But honor is all about recognizing the distinctive difference in another person and celebrating that difference. Honor is not meant to be one directional. Honor is not meant to be one dimensional. Honor is supposed to flow in every direction. I'll show you with this verse of scripture. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2. This is what it says. Honor all people. Say all. All people. Doesn't mean just like a few people. All people. Love the community of believers. We got to value this. The people we share the faith with. That needs to be sacred, needs to be valued, needs to be esteemed. Fear God, honor the king. So honor all people, love the community of believers, fear God, honor the king. One thing you need to know about us, if you're new to our church, we are an honoring church. One of our values, we call it our culture, is we show honor. We celebrate the difference in other people. It's not one directional. My pastor put it this way, and I stole it and say it all the time. We honor up, we honor down, we honor all around. Yeah, we honor our leaders, but if we're leaders, we honor those we're leading. And we honor the people that we work with, that we're shoulder to shoulder with. We honor our guests who come in, and we honor God. We honor the people who are serving on teams. We're, we're people of honor. Now, honor is not common in our culture because 
we're no longer an honor society. We're, we, we don't, we're, we're more of an achievement society. We, we don't honor people because of who they are. We honor people because of what they've done or what they can do. And if I don't respect or what you can do doesn't benefit me, well, you're not going to get my honor. But that's not the way it's supposed to be in the kingdom of God. We honor people because they're made in the image of God. And when we honor others, it honors God. You don't have to wait for someone to be perfect before you honor them. Man, if that was the case, we would not ever give any honor. No, no, nobody would, would get it. I bring that up because I've noticed, like, in our culture, it's almost considered virtuous to be cynical about America. Rather than celebrate the progress that's been made, people feel an obligation to remind everyone where we've fallen short. Now, make no mistake about it. There are aspects of our country, past and present, that are heinous. There's nothing wrong with wanting to see progress in an area where it's lacking. All I'm trying to help you see today is that honor is not at odds with honesty. Some people think they can't give honor because if they show honor to someone, they're not being honest about the real problem. Honor is not at odds with honesty. Honor is just choosing to celebrate and recognize what's good. Let me put it another way. Birthdays are meant to be celebrated. Can you imagine if it was your birthday and someone gave you this cake. Just, can you imagine that? Now the truth is, most of us recognize we probably need to do better and we probably could do better. But you don't want that on your birthday. Birthdays are meant to be celebrated. <laughs> if you're gonna tell me all the areas I'm wrong on my birthday, you're not coming to my party. No one wants to be around that person. And I would just say, if we're going to be people of honor, on the 4th of July, on America's birthday, don't be that person. Are there things we can do better? Sure. Wait till July 5th. But on July 4th, let's be people of honor. Let, let's, let's celebrate what's good. You don't have to apologize for throwing a party there's nothing wrong with celebrating the strengths and the aspirations of our nation on the 4th of July. Now, we don't worship America. That's stupid. But it's okay to be thankful for America. It's okay to honor the things that are good. Not only is it okay to honor the things, Scripture tells us we should. We should. I don't wait for it to be perfect before we can celebrate it. So what do we do? We honor today but we build for the future. Honor today, build for the future. In fact, since we're a church of honor, I just want to take a minute and, and show some honor today, if that's all right. I, I, if you're here and part of our church, you're a first responder, you're a police officer, you work in law enforcement, you help out in emergency services, you're a healthcare worker, you're a government official, elected or unelected, you're a civil servant. If if you're one of those people I mentioned, would you just stand to your feet for a minute? I just want to celebrate you and honor you. Can you stand to your feet? We're thankful for you. 
We're grateful for you. Thank you for serving. Thank you for helping. Thank you for using your gifts to make a difference in the lives of others. We're grateful for you. Thank you. We're, we're a people of honor. If we want to be a, a people under God, we want to be people of honor. But we're not just people of honor. We're also citizens of heaven. Now, I talked about honoring and celebrating the good things in America. That's good. You should do that. But I also want you to know you have a citizenship that is so much bigger and better than being part of America. And that's being a citizen of heaven. This is what Scripture says in Philippians 3.20. Paul wrote, he said, but we are citizens of heaven. And we can hardly wait for a savior from there. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has the power to bring everything under his control. Now, having shared identity as Americans, that's a good thing. The ideas that define America are humble, even if the people that pinned them were sinners. It's okay to recognize the good things about our national identity. But I'm thankful that my national identity is not my primary identity. And there are dozens of scriptures in the New Testament that, that speak to this, that speak to the fact that we are part of a kingdom that is not of this world. That our identity as a people is found in a different place. And one of my favorite examples of this is seen in the ministry of Jesus. You've probably heard of him before. What a lot of people don't realize is that when Jesus went about building his team, he chose people with a very strong national identity. He chose 12 Jewish men. They were all looking for the kingdom to be restored. Kingdom of Israel, that's what they were looking for. Of course, Jesus came to build a kingdom, but not the kingdom they were looking for. What a lot of people don't realize, though, is that when he, he chose these people, two of them in particular stick out. Uh, one is Matthew, the tax collector. The other is Simon the Zealot. Most of us, we read the names of the 12 disciples. We don't think too much about it. We're like, Matthew was a tax collector. Big deal. Peter was a fisherman. So what? Who cares? You know, like Simon the Zealot, it's probably his Instagram handle. We've all got Frank the Tank, Charlemagne the God. I mean, there's, put it on there. But recognize these were signifiers of their political behavior and their national identity. Zealots, look it up on ChatGPT if you can trust it. Zealots were a group of people who, they wanted to overthrow the government. That's what they were known for. Right. The Jewish people at this time were under Roman occupation, Roman Empire. That's why I read about centurions and stuff in Scripture. So the Zealots, they're like, man, we, we need to take back what's ours. And we need to, you know, overthrow this Roman occupant. That's what they wanted to do. That's who Simon was. And uh, they, they were known for resisting with force. They were known for starting and wanting a revolution. On the other hand, you got Matthew, who's a tax collector. A tax collector was an agent of the Roman Empire. Their whole job was to collect taxes from their people and give it to the Roman government. 
That's why so many people despise tax collectors because they were seen as sellouts. They were seen as selling out their own people and pledging their allegiance to another nation, to a government that didn't value them. And what I'm trying to help you see is that when Jesus picked his team, he had one guy who worked for the government in power and another guy who was part of a group that wanted to overthrow the government in power. And yet Jesus picked both of them. They were both close to Jesus. These guys who could not have been more different in their motives, in their national identities, their, their views of the country, but they were part of the same team. How is that possible? Well, I'll tell you in most cases, it's not possible. But what we know is that while that's where they might have started, it's not where they stayed. As they begin to follow Jesus, they learned that there is a different identity than just my national identity. I'm a citizen of heaven. And what we know about both of them is that they laid down their ideologies, that they laid down their political identity to follow Jesus. And that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. Because our greatest citizenship isn't being part of America. It's in recognizing that we are citizens of heaven. We're not just citizens, though. We're people of honor. We're citizens of heaven, yes, but we are also ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's interesting to me that when Paul wants to tell the church how to act, he puts it in political terms. In other words, he says, this is, I want to use an illustration you're familiar with. What am I going to do? Oh, I'm going to talk about politics. Now, maybe you don't know an, what an ambassador is, not as familiar with it as they would have been. Here's the first thing you need to know, that an ambassador is not an elected position. An ambassador is someone who's chosen. We learn this again in Psalm 33. He says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people he has chosen as his own. The fact that you've been chosen, here's what it means. You're an ambassador whether you want to be or not. You might not feel like an ambassador. You might think you're not qualified to be an ambassador. You might be wondering, is there a way I can be exempt from being an ambassador? I would like to opt out of this. But God chose you. Jesus said this. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I say that to Marissa. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I, I chose you. What did he say? That you could bear much fruit. I want you to bear fruit that's going to last. God chose you. You haven't been elected. You've been appointed. You're not chosen by people. You're chosen by God. And you're, you're not trying to appeal to them and win them over. You're not trying to win the popular vote. You're trying to be obedient to what God has instructed you to do. If you think about it, what does an ambassador do? Well, an ambassador is always on government business. They're there to represent the interests of the king and the kingdom from which they've been sent. 
They don't even represent their own preferences. They don't represent their own opinions. They're not operating for their own benefit. In fact, that's what this scripture tells us, that the mission that God has given us is a ministry of reconciliation. That means that God wants to use you to draw others to himself. He wants to show himself through you to the world around you. He wants to do it in your work, wants to do it in your family, wants to do it in your circle of friends. In fact, God wants to show himself through you to the world, but you don't have to go around the world to impact the world. You just be used by God in the place where he's put you. Where has he put you? He's put you in a family. You can be a representative of Jesus in your family, how you love, how you speak, how you behave, how you respond. Be a representative of Jesus in your workplace, to your employees, to your boss, to your customers, to your clients. You can be a, a representative of, of Jesus in the, the circle of friends that he's placed around you. How you behave, are you reflecting Jesus? That's what he wants you to do. You're called to be an ambassador. You're on kingdom business. You wanna be a nation under God? You gotta be a people under God. Let's be people of honor. Let's remind ourselves we're citizens of heaven. Let's remember that we're ambassadors for Christ because that's the place that God's gonna bless.